0: I have heard of beautiful cities far off in the land of the blessed, but in the only cities I've ever known, the weary get no rest. I have heard of beautiful mansions
1: far. From College Hill above eastern Pennsylvania, and today, Boca Raton, Florida, welcome to the Tim Danahee Show here at Danahee.com and we're a proud member of the Coffee Party USA Network. And today's book conversation concerns a topic that that I suppose just when you think you can't know anything else about it, uh, sure enough, um, this book comes along and really uh, expands uh, what you uh, previously thought you knew. Uh, the subject is Nazi Germany, and, and there's a new book out, out that uh, delves into unbelievable facets, and it'll startle you, quite honestly. And the book is "Nazi: The Nazi Titanic, The Incredible Untold Story of a Doomed Ship in World War II. The author is Robert P. Watson. But while it's The Nazi Titanic, the story is Far more than the title it entails uh, the highest levels of Nazi power uh, of uh, fascinating stories of propaganda and uh, sadly even um, uh, atrocities that that for which I was unafair uh, I think uh, unaware and I think uh, honestly you'll be amazed too uh Robert uh, P. Watson welcome to the Tim danahy show Tim thanks it's a pleasure to be on well uh, Robert, I got to be honest with you. I, I want to congratulate you on, on writing such a uh, really a spectacularly well-researched and, and entertaining book. Uh, you caught me Thank by you. Su- you caught me by surprise. And I'm going to be honest with you, you know, some some books you kind of say uh, I'm going to read this word for word, you know, and time is of the essence for everything. And some books you say I'm going to scan. And I thought I was going to scan this, but my goodness, this book just grabbed me, and I read every word of this, and then I, you have two appendices, I, I jumped into the appendices, uh, this was a great book.
2: Well, you just made my day, I'm happy to come on your show anytime. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you keep writing these kind of books, and I, I, I'll have to insist upon it, it, it it's uh, really uh, something special. Um, well,
2: you know, it was... I. I I love my history. I, I admit to being a history nerd. I'm a professor and I've written a lot of books on history, but this is, uh, this. Uh, I think this was my 40th. This was the uh, by far the most challenging book I've ever written, by far the most difficult book uh, from many, many angles. One, just trying to get a hold of this documentation, much of which had been locked away and classified by the British government, but also just from an emotional perspective. Uh, you know, if I'm working on a book on Abraham Lincoln or Harry Truman or or something of that effect, I I consider it a fun, light enterprise. But this, with with the Nazis and having to reread Joseph Goebbels' diaries and, and, you know, war records, and it was just so emotionally draining uh, because you empathize for the Holocaust uh, prisoners and the others who were victims of this shocking tragedy uh, in this story, in the narrative, that I would find oftentimes I would sit down in the evening to try to knock off a chapter or sit down in the evening to pour through several old diaries or reports. And I would get through just a little bit of it. And then I would push back from my desk saying, you know, I can't, uh, emotionally, I don't want to deal with any more right now. I need to go home. So it was, it was a, an emotional book to to produce.
1: Well, Robert, I you know i took that ride with you that that's how well you you wrote it because uh and and we'll get into some of these atrocities uh, as we kind of follow the timeline and 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 the timeline will kind of end with these atrocities but um i i i was sitting here like oh my god you know that that type of thing but but then there there was this mm-hmm. wonderment. And so perhaps what we should do is set the stage for what this book is all, all about. And it, it was the Cap Arconia. Okay. And uh, the the ship is the timeline. And, and really on that timeline, uh, all the events and how that ship was woven into history uh, kind of formed your, yep. your your book, didn't it? Right. So,
2: yeah, uh, the book's about many things, but it's, it's a story about a ship. And the ship is, as you correctly noted, the Cap Arcona. The, the Germans, uh, throughout much of the 20th century, really prided themselves in their ships. They, uh, uh, shipping, the shipping industry in Germany was kind of like the automobiles in the United States in the 50s and 60s. It was a, a cultural thing. They took great pride in it. And after World War I, it was particularly a difficult time for Germany economically and also the country had lost so many of its ships during the war uh in fact uh, when the victors were willing to were ready to take and seize a lot of german warships at the end of the war germany sunk them they self scuttled rather than allow their ships to be taken by their enemies because they had so much pride in their ships and remember that point that's one we'll come back to at the end of our story but in uh 1927 germany launched a ship called the Cap Arcona it was built to be the new Titanic, uh, thus the name, the Nazi Titanic. And um, the Blum and Voss, the shipbuilders in Hamburg, South America, the operating company, they even studied the Titanic, uh, trying to make a ship that was even better. It was almost the size of the Titanic. It was as luxurious and opulent as the Titanic. Uh, it was probably more technologically advanced. It had more lifeboats, uh, a stronger hull. So they thought they made a better Titanic. And in the 20s and 30s, Tim, this was really the most celebrated ship afloat. Uh, I found newspapers from all around the world from back then that when the ship would be coming into port, they would start a countdown, you know, five, 10 days out. In another eight days, you'll be able to see the Cap Arcona, the new Titanic. And all around the world, from Germany to Buenos Aires, Argentina, people celebrated the ship. They even composed songs. There was a, Argentina. There was a Caparcona Tango. Uh, Germany and European cities released uh, like cards, like playing cards with the officers of the ship's images on them. Uh, uh, Noted American actors, uh, European monarchs all clamored to uh, board and sail upon what was considered in the 20s and 30s the. Finest
1: ship afloat. Yeah. So that's I, where the story starts. I, I believe you mentioned Clark Gable um, uh, sailed on the Cap Arcona. Yeah. And, and so it really did. Clark
2: Gable loved the ship. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and sailed on it several times. Yeah. So. And, and so Hollywood was kind of involved. And so that kind of leads to an irony that um, the Cap Arcona um, uh, then became kind of a, a, a movie set in its own right and what's fascinating robert right. is is i'm i'm hoping you can, you can you can tell this story but but Goebbels and sure. uh, propaganda and the movie set and even perhaps some speculation about the the directors and uh sub subtext to right. all of this it's wonderful right. it's a great book right. <laughs> please tell us about so it. so this is a this is
2: a right this is a wild story here so what happens is Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels, his propaganda minister, loved movies. Uh, Even though they banned Hollywood films inside of Germany, it was not uncommon for them to watch two and three movies back-to-back, back-to-back-to-back, with translators over their shoulder. And I even looked up and read through their accounts of their age as to what movies they were watching. They loved um, King Kong. They loved Gone with the Wind. And they also watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarves over and over, <laughs> if you can imagine such a thing. Uh, the movie that they hated was Casablanca because it was uh, basically an anti-Nazi propaganda film, but wrapped up in a great action drama love story with, with good acting, good directing, and good script. So one of the times when these, uh, these two Nazi leaders were watching movies, uh, they would typically sit around after the movies for an hour or more debating the cinematography and everything, and they they considered themselves film connoisseurs and sort of Germany's version of Siskel and Ebert, you might say. And um, one day when when they finished watching movies, they were so emotionally moved by the films that rather than debate the movies, they just sat and watched the credits. And it dawned on them that a lot of the actors, directors, producers, cinematographers were, were Jewish. So Goebbels said that he kicked over uh, chairs in the room, that they were both outraged. That's when Hitler had an idea, Uh, and then he and Goebbels would then go from there. And that was this. Uh, You know, by 1942, the war was changing for Germany. Thankfully, it was going poorly for them. Uh, They were not able to invade Britain. Uh, Operation Sea Lion, the invasion of Britain, never came about. Barbarossa, the invasion of the Soviet Union, didn't work out for them. So they needed something to try to turn the tide of the war. And they came up with this idea that they were going to open up a new propaganda front against the West. And the propaganda front would be movies. By watching Casablanca, they realized the power of great Hollywood movies. So Goebbels' task is to create the most epic and diabolical propaganda movie ever, so much so that it would turn the tide of the war how delusional they were. It would turn everyone against the Brits and the Allies and turn everybody for the Germans. So the movie they came up with to make one of these Cecil B. DeMille, you know, the greatest story ever told, cast of thousands, was the Titanic. So they remake the Titanic, but they Nazify the Titanic script by all the good uh, characters in it are all Germans and all the Americans and Brits are bad characters. And they decide that it's going to be such a high-budget, and it was the most expensive movie ever made at the time, such a high-budget grand production that they're going to reassign military units to be the cast. They give Goebbels basically an unlimited budget, and they're going to cast in the starring role the Caparcona as the Titanic. So the ship earns the nickname the Nazi Titanic. However, everything that could go wrong went wrong in the filming of the ship. You know, the set is bombed by the Allies. There's cost overruns. Hitler and Goebbels are getting increasingly impatient. They're frustrated because of the direction of the war. Where's their great movie? Where's their great movie? They want to launch the movie to, with the correspond with the opening of what they were calling Hollywood on the Rhine. They wanted to show quote-unquote Jewish Hollywood that they, the Nazis, could make better movies. Ultimately, with the film uh, running behind schedule and over budget, the director, a fellow named Herbert Salpin. S-E-L-P-I-N, uh, explodes in frustration on set one day and curses Hitler, Goebbels, and the Nazis. Well, obviously, he's summoned to Berlin, where he's found dead. Uh, he's hanged in a jail cell uh, in Berlin below the Gestapo headquarters. So now they can't find another director. Actors are being shot on set if they miss their marks. Ultimately, after all that, Joseph Goebbels finally has his finished film. He's going to sit down to view this Epic masterpiece, which is supposed to literally turn the tide of the war, before he shows it to Hitler, he watches it and he realizes something. What he realizes is the movie is essentially a film about a fanatical captain that drives his ship into an iceberg and all the innocent victims on board are are, are doomed. And Goebbels realizes the movie is a metaphor for Nazi Germany with Hitler as the captain. After all of that, he bans the film from being shown inside of Germany. Most copies of the film are destroyed, and the Nazi Titanic, the ship, is sent back to a port to just sit there and rust after starring as the real Titanic. Yeah,
1: a, a, a great story. And, and But your book even goes into things about the special effects, a 30-foot model, how they wanted to light it up at night, but it would be become a target for the British uh, bombers um uh, the story, sure. the story goes on and on, and then uh, uh it, it, it's 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 fabulous it, it really is and then it, this
2: was easily this movie was easily the most bizarre and it was at the time the most expensive film ever made uh and here's a, another little interesting twist happily a, copies of the a few copies of the film survived it was uh, shown in Prague and in Paris and elsewhere, and you can watch the film today in black and white with English subtitles. And from, I mean, it's disturbing to watch because you know this backstory that we're talking about, which gets even worse uh, coming up. But uh, but from a, a technical perspective, it is a brilliantly made movie. In fact, the old black and white British film about the sinking of the Titanic from the 1950s, it was called A Night to Remember, which a lot of film connoisseurs say is probably even better than. James Cameron's Titanic, that film, all the ship scenes and the sinking scenes are actually from the Nazi film. Since there was no copyright, the Nazis were, everybody involved in the film was dead, the ship was sunk and there was no copyright. The British crew, and director, decided to use their scenes because they were so well done. So you can actually see the filming of this and see the old Cap Arcona Nazi Titanic by watching that classic British
1: film. It, it's, it's a great story the, uh, and that's just part of uh, what's in the book. We're going to talk about more parts of this. We have to break for a commercial uh, but we're talking with Robert P. Watson, the author of the new book The Nazi Titanic, the incredible untold story of a doom Ship in World War II and we've got more stories to come here on The Tim Danny Show. We'll be right back. We're not for you
0: and I I have heard Beautiful stories and of times that are going to be but the only times that I've ever known are
1: bad for you and me. You preserve a nation one community at a time, with shared knowledge and an informed electorate, with many voices speaking with civility and integrity. And we will preserve our nation when we participate, we learn, we discuss, we vote. We are the Coffee Party USA. Join us today. CoffeePartyUSA.com
0: I've heard of beautiful countries Far off in the land of the dead But in the only countries I've ever.
1: Our government should be open, it must be accountable to the people, and we demand access to vote and our votes be counted and verified. These concepts should be common sense in our democracy, but they're not. Some would deny us these rights. But people died for them, and Common Cause works every day to make certain they did not die in vain. Join Common Cause, keep your rights, and hold political power accountable where it should be, the people. Common holding power accountable. Welcome to this episode of Danahy.com's American History Minute, a one-minute story about little-known events. Today's story comes from Patrick O'Donnell, author of Dog Company. Here's today's story. After D-Day, U.S. forces were advancing faster than supply lines. We needed food and munitions to replenish our men. We needed the French seaport of Brest, but it was fortified with 50,000 German troops ringed with minefields and pillboxes. The heart of the defenses was the Lochrist Battery, massive guns surrounded by concrete bunkers. These guns defended the port of Brest. On September 6, Lieutenant Bob Edlin noticed a small footpath through the minefield. The locals used to supply one of the pillboxes. Edlin and three men surprised the Germans inside, and they surrendered without a shot. Edlin asked one German, "Will you lead us to the fort commandant?" Yes, he said. So Edlin and one man marched through the front door, the subterranean corridors, and stunned Germans to the main office. The shocked commandant sat at his desk. Edlin said, why don't you just surrender the whole fort and get this over with? The commandant said, there's two of you and 800 of us. Edlin put a grenade between the commandant's legs. Surrender now or I release the grenade. The commandant paused, got on the public address system, and ordered the fort to surrender. Lieutenant Edlin and one man captured the entire La Cristo battery and opened the French coast to resupply the Allied invasion of Europe. This story has been provided by the Tim Danahy Show. Please like us on Facebook at Tim Danahy Show and follow us on Twitter at hashtag Tim Danahy Show. And thank you for listening at com. Welcome back to the Tim Denny show here at com and we're talking with Robert P Watson who is the author of of a, a surprising and and multifaceted and and entertaining uh and interesting and uh, I need to come up with a with a, a negative term. I'm, I'm tempted to say appalling, and and and, <laughs> and, and 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 Robert, we're going to get into why it's appalling. But the book is the Nazi Titanic: The Incredible Untold Story of a Doom Ship in World War II. And it, this is more than a ship in this book. This it's a. We were talking off air, and it's kind of a. Uh, we, we talked about the propaganda, and, and more so the positiveness and the, and uh, of the Cap Arcona, the, the ship, the star of this book, and we talk about the metaphor, uh, and there's also the humor, perhaps, of that, but there's a very dark side to this ship, too, and uh, it, it, it Many people died, and, and it was used uh, in, in some very uh, insidious ways. And, and Robert, l- let's go through that a little bit. Um, one of the greatest tragedies, and oddly, it kind of parallels a tragedy from uh, America's Civil War. In the Civil War, after the war was over, uh, we lost several thousand men in, in the Mississippi River. Uh, uh, as merchants were trying to profit from putting too many men on a ship it's capsized and they drowned in the Mississippi. Um, but there was something... even. Yeah, the Sultana in the
2: final minutes of the Civil War. Yeah, the Sultana was overloaded with Union soldiers, men that it had survived the war, Confederate prison camps, atrocious treatment, on their way home, and uh, uh, one of the worst maritime tragedies in American history occurs the final moments of the war when that ship goes down the
1: and, and, and the sadness of that is, is mult is multiplied by the cap Arcona. Can, can you talk about that? Right. Um, uh, uh, as part of what's sure. in your book?
2: So, um, what happened was, uh, I was not going to write this book. Um, I was going to write a book on world war two. I wanted to write a book about the final week of the war just, uh, uh, it was sheer chaos. I wanted to start in the war in Europe. To, I wanted to start with uh, Hitler's uh, suicide on April 30th, 1945, and end up about a week later with B.E. Day, when the war ended in Europe. I wanted to try to tell that story. And I was looking for instances of very personal, intimate uh, examples of love and loss, triumph and tragedy, to kind of take the reader through some very intimate experiences of some of the individuals involved, regular folks involved in the final days and hours of war, and I came across a letter that really tipped me off to something, and uh, I, that's when I learned about this ship. And um, what happened was, at the very end of the war, in the winter of '45, as we get into March and in April, uh, getting into the spring, Hitler issues his liquidation decree, this infamous decree that. Destroy all evidence of the camps, kill all the prisoners, uh, don't let them fall into enemy hands, destroy the camps, the papers, everything. So Nazi commandants of these concentration camps just start acts of just mass murder, even if, if it's possible, more atrocious than what they had been doing. However, Heinrich Himmler, uh, one of the top Nazis, a uh, Gestapo official, Heinrich Himmler issues this strange kind of countermanding order. He tells the concentration camp commandants, whose camps had not yet been liberated or overrun by the Allies, he tells them, instead of killing everyone, don't let the prisoners fall into the hands of the Allies. It's sort of suggesting that they should move the prisoners before the camps are taken over. Then he notifies select camp commandants and says, march everyone north to the Baltic. Now, they can't flee south, west, or east because the Allies are coming in from all directions. One of the few areas in Germany not yet overrun or liberated is the north-central part of the country by the Baltic Sea. So they march tens of thousands of Holocaust survivors, many by foot, some are stuffed into train uh, cars, overcrowded, some are put in barges and pulled by tugboats up the rivers to the Baltic. On the way, they stop at Hamburg. In the city of Hamburg, there's a concentration camp called Neuengamme, and they, they use that as, a, I guess, a central receiving area. And tens of thousands are brought there from all over uh, still-occupied Nazi territories. From there, they take them to the Baltic. Here's Heinrich Himmler's diabolical plan. He wants to try to save as many thousands and tens of thousands of Holocaust prisoners as possible. He wants to exchange them to Eisenhower, give them to Eisenhower and Montgomery in exchange for his own life. And then he wants to try to negotiate a separate surrender on the west so that the Germans can reallocate their forces to the east because it was the Red Army, the Soviets, who were just slaughtering every man, woman, children, everyone uh, on the eastern front. Now, he's so delusional that he thinks he can cut this deal. Uh, so the plan is to take tens of thousands of prisoners to the coast, put them on a ship or two or three, and then potentially he would get on the ship and sail and then negotiate the exchange. And, of course, the main ship that is picked for this is the Nazi Titanic, the Cap Arcona, which by now had been the pride of the Third Reich. Hitler, Goebbels, their favorite ship, this legendary ship. So, theoretically, Himmler's going to get on the ship and do this. However, before Himmler can do this, uh, Hitler finds out that Himmler's cutting a deal and moving these prisoners. So Hitler, from his bunker uh, in Berlin, sends two assassins in April of 45 to kill Heinrich Himmler. Heinrich Himmler has to take off his uniform. He adopts fake, uh, the fake identity of a sergeant, a police sergeant, and goes on the run running for his life. Well, what happens is Hitler kills himself on April 30th. Himmler's on the run. Hermann Goering, the Luftwaffe commander, goes on the run. Joseph Goebbels also commits suicide and kills his wife and six children. Hitler's new wife, Eva Braun, commits suicide. Uh, it, it's absolute chaos. So you have thousands and thousands of prisoners piled up at the, at the Baltic coast, at the port, and they start loading them on board the, the Nazi Titanic, the Cap Arcona. Now, the ship is so big that it can't dock, so it drops anchor three kilometers off the coast out into the baltic in a bay called lubick bay just off the coast of the town of neustadt now the problem is there's no food there's no command structure there's no water so by day hundreds are dying at the port hundreds are dying in the ship uh people are locked below decks in the ship uh, in complete darkness uh and not fed uh, given no water and just they're dying by the hundreds uh as we get into May of 45, it's apparent the war is going to end and no one knows what to do with these prisoners. Uh, there's a Swedish count named Folke Bernadotte, who is the head of the Red Cross and uh, part of the royal family in Sweden. He decides he needs to try to save as many people as possible because he knows the Nazis will kill everyone right before the war ends. He literally goes to the Baltic coast and is getting people off the ship getting people out of that concentration camp in Hamburg at Uh He's trying to uh, to uh, bribe the Nazis to get folks off. He visits the, the ship and the port uh, in, in north-central Germany, and he said he could smell it before he arrived because of the smell of death. The sad thing is that the Nazis transport hundreds by train, uh, and they don't, when the Nazis arrive at the coast, they run like hell, uh, not unlocking the train cars, leaving hundreds and hundreds of survivors in there with no food and water, and nearly all of them perish. Uh, when the liberators arrive and they are trying to take people off the ship, they find below decks in the holds, it's a half foot deep of feces and urine because there's no toilets, and people have just been locked in these holds, a thousand in a hold, like sardines, with no food, water, or light. Uh, so they're literally pulling skeletons off and trying to race them back to Sweden. It's now May 3rd. The war's about over, and no one knows what to do. There's still countless thousands on the ship and countless thousands at the port. That's when two Nazi officials come up with a diabolical plan. One is a head of the Gestapo at the coast. His name is Count George von Basewitz behr And then there's a, uh, a politician who's basically the mayor of Hamburg, the governor of this Baltic uh, coast. His name is Carl Kaufman, with a K and a K. And Kaufman says to Bear, let's do this. Let's load as many people as we can on board the ship, Nazi Titanic, and let's sink it. But we're going to do the following. We'll sink it not only to kill Holocaust survivors, but to deny the Allies from having the pride of the Third Reich, our beloved Caparcona. And we'll sink it right when the peace is willing to is ready to be signed right when right when we're ready to surrender. So at the last moments in May the Nazis are ready to sink the ship, but as they're ready to do it a British special forces unit, the 6th Commando, arrives at the at the coast and they make quick work of the Nazis. The Nazis are down to a couple of Hitler youth and some of the Volkssturm. That's not the regular Wehrmacht, the regular military. It's a couple of older men with old guns. And uh, the British Sixth Commando defeat the Nazis quickly. Some of the Hitler Youth and nearby naval cadets run and flee into the woods. Most surrender. And uh, they're in the process of getting ready to liberate all those people at the port and to go out to the Caparcona and take thousands off the coast. As they're doing this, they hear the roar above them. And into the Baltic uh, flies six squadrons of Royal Air Force bombers, British bombers. The bombers don't know about the Cap Arcona holding uh, concentration campers, and they bomb the ship, uh, sinking it, killing almost everybody on board. They literally blow up people at the port uh, with the machine guns that are also on the bombers. They're typhoon bombers, so it's kind of a hybrid plane. They can serve as a fighter or a bomber, a little bigger than the usual fighter, little smaller than the usual bomber. After they blow up the ship, they strafe with their machine guns, survivors in the water. Uh, the 20-millimeter cannons that they're firing are so powerful, they're literally sawing or cutting people in half, their torsos, with these powerful uh, bullets. The Nazis had filled the Caparcona up with gasoline, so when it's hit by 500-pound bombs, 60-pound rockets, it literally explodes into a fireball. Um, uh, the the explosion is so powerful that it knocks people over on the coast Um, as the ship is uh, sinking some do manage to get off the ship. Now the Cap Arcona is so big that it's bigger than the Baltic is deep at 3 kilometers out into Lubick Bay so the ship rolls over but never fully sinks. It's kind of like a, uh, a beached whale on its side and there are just harrowing stories of prisoners. A few people make it off and survive, and I tell their stories in the, sh- in, in the book. Uh, but folks are trapped in, uh, in this fireball. As it's rolling over, they're being blown into the water. The Baltic is 42 degrees Fahrenheit in early May. Uh, most folks hadn't eaten in days, and had survived a death march in the Holocaust. They die of hypothermia or drowned immediately. The Germans are in the water, trying to kill any extra prisoners and pick up survivors, uh, German survivors. Uh, Some of the uh, Holocaust prisoners are then machine gunned by Germans in boats. When they pick folks up that are survivors, they throw them back in the Baltic. There are people that make it to the shore. And as they wash up on the shore, too weak to stand, after swimming or floating three kilometers, the Hitler Youth and some of these naval cadets that had ran earlier, come out of the woods and bash the skulls in of survivors with the butts of their guns. It's just harrowing and unimaginable, uh, although a few people do somehow, against all odds, survive this. What ultimately happens is... Go ahead.
1: Well, I'm just saying we're giving the, the overview of this. First of all, the, the the typhoon, the pilots in the typhoon bombers didn't know they were shooting uh, 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 refugees from the con- uh, concentration camps. They thought they were Germans uh, trying to make it to, for a, right. for a new a, a new uh, a regrouping in Norway, and so the, 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 it's not like right. the, uh, they knew what was happening here. But uh, we have to kind of wind it up a little bit, but. But, but Robert, what, what I what I what I want to convey in this, we've given essentially two large stories here. We, we've we've given you know the Caparcona in, in um, propaganda in the movie and the fascinating story, and, we, and we've talked about the sadness and the and the atrocities uh, of of um, what happened in the Baltic. But uh, what I want to mention, Robert, is in your book there are so many other stories that that are all. Wrapped in the, the Savagery of the Russians, uh, as an example. Uh, right. The heroism. Right, the, oh yes. Yeah, the two, the two uh, brothers who amazingly uh, survived. The Kubovich brothers. Yes, right. uh, the one who survived uh, by having marginal dentist skills and just a couple of tools. Um, the list goes right. on. This right. story, This book is a living, breathing book when you read it. It comes alive and you feel the anguish. And uh, you feel the emotion as you go through it. It is a fabulous book. And you've just heard two of the, the, the main stories. But within this, there are uh, dozens, if not a hundred, uh, small stories that you need to hear, too. Uh, uh, Robert Watson, author of The Nazi Titanic, The Incredible Untold Story of a Doomed Ship in World War II. Uh, fabulous book. And I want to thank you so much for coming on The Tim Danahy Show
2: my pleasure, Tim. Thanks for the kind words. And here we are, 70 plus years after the end of it, and we're still learning these hidden stories. from history.
1: I'm so glad that uh, that you wrote it and uh, DeCapo published it. Uh, good job. Thank you, Robert. Thank you.
0: To be worn by the fighters of sin but the only I've ever Oh yeah. yeah. Thank you.